0: The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at LetstalkFaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by
1: Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. The significance of all of this is that Peter is about to be confronted with a very real dilemma. He doesn't know it yet, but the men who are waiting for him downstairs are all Gentiles, meaning they're non-Jews. That's what a Gentile means, a non-Jew. And up to this point in his life, he has never had any close associations with Gentiles. He's never eaten with any Gentile. He's never had Gentiles stay in his house. He's never stayed in a Gentile house. He has been totally segregated from any close contact with Gentiles his entire life. But the Spirit of God has just commanded him To go with these men without any hesitancy, without any doubting, because they have been sent to him by divine order. So what's Peter going to do? Is he going to react to Gentiles the way he's been brought up to react? Or is he going to break from his traditions by responding in obedience to the Spirit of God?
2: this story is unfolding. Peter is on the rooftop of someone who works with dead animal skins and God is telling Peter to eat food that was unclean to the Jewish people. Meanwhile messengers from Cornelius were knocking on the door just as the vision had finished. Welcome to Verse by Verse where our teacher Pastor Steve Kreloff, is tackling a subject that was very touchy in the day of the Apostle Peter. It's still a tricky subject today, but one that is very important. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. It doesn't matter their skin color, ethnic background, or religious background. None of these lines of distinction that we as humans tend to draw matter to God. Therefore, they shouldn't matter to us either. Let's listen now as Pastor Steve brings us today's verse-by-verse.
1: Now, as Luke continues... He tells us that while Peter was perplexed as to the meaning of the vision he's just seen, the men that Cornelius sent, they've arrived. They're downstairs, they've arrived at the home where he's staying, the home of Simon the Tanner. Meanwhile, Peter is still upstairs on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house, and he is reflecting on this vision. And while he's thinking and trying to figure out what all this means, the Spirit of God speaks to him informing him that three men are downstairs looking for him. Therefore, the Spirit commands him, go down, go down to the lower level of the house, meet these men, and go with them without any hesitation because I've sent them. Now, folks, the significance of all this is that Peter is about to be confronted with a very real dilemma. He doesn't know it yet, but the men who are waiting for him downstairs are all Gentiles, meaning they're non-Jews. That's what a Gentile means, a non-Jew. And up to this point in his life, he has never had any close associations with Gentiles. He's never eaten with any Gentile. He's never had Gentile stay in his house. He's never stayed in a Gentile house. He has been totally segregated from any close contact with Gentiles his entire life. But the Spirit of God has just commanded him to go with these men without any hesitancy, without any doubting, because they have been sent to him by divine order. So what's Peter going to do? Is he going to react to Gentiles the way he's been brought up to react? Or is he going to break from his traditions by responding in obedience to the Spirit of God? Well, Luke tells us what happens as he continues his narrative. Verse 21 and following. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. Let's stop there. Having gone downstairs now and introduced himself to the three men standing at the gate, Peter inquires as to why they have come looking for him, and they proceed to explain to him about Cornelius, who he is as a military man, a centurion, and what he's like religiously. He is a Gentile god fear, short of being a full proselyte, but he believes in the one true God of Israel, and he practices Judaism. And they say that an angel commanded him to send for Peter to hear a message from him. And then notice what Peter does in response to what these men have just told him. He invites them in and gives them lodging. Now folks, this is no minor action on the part of Peter. This reveals a major shift in his thinking. This reveals that God is at work in Peter's heart, enlightening him as to the meaning of the vision that he's just given him. See, what Peter did by inviting these Gentiles into that house and feeding them, giving them lodging for the night, that was unheard of, absolutely unheard of among the typical Jewish person of that day. Listen, this is a radical break from everything that Peter has been brought up to believe and to do when it comes to Gentiles. James Montgomery Boyce explains what the typical Jewish person would have done under the same circumstances. Here's what he wrote. He said, normally a Jew would have said, well, it's nice to meet you, but we need to stay out here in the street. You can't come inside. Or he might have said, if you go down this street a little way, I think you'll find an inn where you can stay. Or you can camp out on the beach. I think you'll manage all right there. He continues, no Orthodox Jew, and all Jews at that point were Orthodox Jews, but no Orthodox Jew would have invited Gentiles into his house. He would not have sat down at the same table with them. He would have not had any fellowship with them. It was forbidden. But that's not what Peter did. That's significant. You see, by inviting these Gentiles to lodge with him under the same roof, Peter is breaking, breaking with his lifelong Jewish traditions and his prejudiced way of thinking. And he's doing this, first of all, because the Spirit of God has commanded him to be with these Gentile men. And secondly, because the meaning of his vision is just beginning to dawn upon him that God has told him that no longer should he think of Gentiles as unclean. Now, we need to understand this was an incredibly bold and it was a courageous move on Peter's part because it took a lot of courage, took a lot of godly integrity to break from his lifelong sinful prejudice in order to follow and to obey the Lord. But listen, I want you to know this is something all of us are called to do all of us, because regardless of whether we admit it or not, we all have prejudices. We all have erroneous thinking as well on any number of issues that we've carried into our Christian lives. Therefore, the question for all of us to face is this, when God shows you your sinful prejudices and your faulty, erroneous, unbiblical thinking, are you willing to change Are you willing to obey scripture regardless of the cost? That's the issue. And it may indeed cost you dearly. It may cost you friends. It may cost you close relationships. It may cost your reputation. It might even cost you financially to change your thinking and act differently. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to obey him as your Lord, no matter what the cost is. Here's something, though, that should encourage you. When God is at work in your life showing you that you do have prejudices that have to change, you do have man-made traditions and thinking that are violations of Scripture, he'll graciously, he'll gradually prepare your heart so that you are ready and willing to make those changes. Change doesn't come easy to anybody. And it seems to only be harder as you get older, but change we must. Listen, the Lord is with you. The Lord will help you. This is exactly what he did with Peter. Consider how the Lord has been working in Peter's life. Let me backtrack a little bit for you and show you step by step. He's been preparing him for his encounter with these Gentile men and soon to be with Cornelius. First step that began to prepare Peter for associating with Gentiles was when the Lord sovereignly sent him to investigate the conversion of the Samaritans. This was a huge first step because Peter was raised to hate Samaritans almost as much as he was raised to hate Gentiles. Samaritans were a racially mixed people who were part pagan and part Jewish. And they were despised and they were shunned by the Jewish people who John, in the gospel of John chapter four says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Not normally, but the Lord was at work in Peter's heart, bringing him to Samaria, letting him see the salvation of these people and to witness God's love and grace in the lives of this once hated people. And in doing so, Peter was beginning to see the vastness of God's love and how narrow-minded his thinking has been. And we know that Peter had this work of God in his heart, and things are changing in his thinking, and God is expanding his narrow-mindedness. And why do I say that? Because if you look back at the last verse of Acts chapter 9, we read a remarkable statement in verse 43. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now, this may look like an insignificant fact concerning Peter's location in the city of Joppa, but it is not insignificant. And as I told you in a previous message, the work of a tanner involved turning the skins of animals into leather, and that necessitated touching the carcasses of dead animals. Folks, that was absolutely taboo. Forbidden by the Mosaic law. And so that meant that Simon the tanner was considered ceremonially unclean, tainted, contaminated. Therefore, the typical Jewish person of that day would have had nothing to do with him. But the fact that Peter stayed with him in his home, that's huge. It's evidence of God being at work in Peter's heart breaking down his defenses, broadening his thinking, helping him to overcome his prejudices that have been shaped by his upbringing. So listen, you don't have to be afraid of making changes when God shows you that you do have innate prejudices. You do have unbiblical thinking that has to be abandoned in order to conform to Scripture. And the reason you don't have to be afraid to make these changes is because you can count on the fact that the Lord will be at work in your heart, preparing you and getting you ready to change and giving you his grace to change. You're not alone in this. The Lord is with you. As one wise individual put it, God has a way of softening our prejudices if we are the least bit willing to learn. So, be like Peter, be willing, be teachable to learn from scripture. After all, if Jesus is your Lord, if he's really your Lord, then you must be loyal to him above anything and anyone else. And that includes any sinful prejudiced thinking ingrained in you since childhood. Now returning to Luke's narrative about how the gospel came to the Gentiles, we're ready now to move on to see the fourth scene in this unfolding drama, which is about the meeting of Cornelius and Peter. We read as verse 23 continues, and on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, having entertained the three Gentile messengers from Cornelius overnight, Luke tells us that the next day Peter and these men began to travel north to Caesarea. However, what we learn here is they didn't go alone. Apparently, Peter asked some of the believers, all Jewish men from the church at Joppa, to accompany them. Now, according to Acts chapter 11, verse 12, there were six of them from Joppa, who joined them on this trip to Caesarea to meet Cornelius. And listen, though God never commanded Peter to do this, to ask these men to accompany him, it was really a wise decision on his part to ask them to come along. And I'll tell you why, because later when questioned by the Jerusalem church about the veracity of Gentiles believing in Jesus, this had never happened before, these men would be able, and they did, to verify this report. So the 10 of them, three Gentiles, seven Jews, including Peter, they leave Joppa and they head north to Caesarea. And Luke tells us what happened next in verse 24. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now Luke tells us, that the day after these men left Joppa, they arrived in Caesarea, which means that they spent the night somewhere en route. Meanwhile, Cornelius, anticipating their arrival, had gathered together his relatives and close friends so that they too could hear what Peter has to say about salvation. Now think about that. Cornelius was so concerned for the spiritual welfare of his family and friends that he invited them to his home to be his guests so that they too could learn how to be right with God. Although at this point, he's not even a Christian, not even a believer. He knew that the soon-to-be message coming from Peter would be the most important words he would ever hear and that it would determine his eternal destiny. And he wanted all those who he loved to share the same eternal destiny with him. And so he invited all of his family and relatives who lived in Caesarea, maybe his mom and dad, maybe his grandparents, certainly his wife and children, and his close friends who were no doubt his military colleagues, he invited them to join him for this home Bible study led by Peter. Listen, I read that and I think, oh, oh that we as believers in Jesus Christ would have the same concern for the salvation of our relatives and friends as this unsaved Cornelius did. And now with this large party of people eagerly awaiting Peter's arrival, Luke tells us in verse 25 and following what happened when Peter finally Meets Cornelius for the first time, verses 25 through 27. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Upon entering the home of Cornelius, Cornelius was there to immediately meet Peter, but what happened next must have absolutely shocked the apostle. Instead of asserting his authority as a Roman military officer over Peter, a Jewish peasant fisherman and member of a subjugated nation detested by Rome, Cornelius instead, he falls at Peter's feet and treats him with worshipful reverence. But Peter immediately rejects such adulation, and immediately he tells Cornelius to get up, stand up, because I'm just like you, I'm just a man. Now, if there ever was a verse in Scripture that discouraged the worship of saints, this is it. And yet, the Roman Catholic Church continues to teach the worship and veneration of saints, especially the Virgin Mary. Listen, all that's just blasphemous idolatry. That's what it is. Because worship, it's to be reserved only for God himself. In fact, whenever we read in Scripture of men of God being worshipped, they reject it. And in the case of the Apostle Paul... They were horrified. He was horrified by it. In Acts chapter 14, we read about the time that some pagans began to worship Paul and Barnabas after God used Paul to heal a lame man. I want you to notice the reaction of these men of God. Verses 11 through 15 of Acts 14. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you and we preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. That was Paul's reaction, just horrified. Why are you doing this? But listen, it's not only men who reject being worshipped. Scripture also reveals that even angels reject the worship of men because they know that worship is reserved only for God himself, no one else. We read in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, Even the Apostle John makes a mistake in what he did. But we read this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Now, in light of all these individuals we see in Scripture rejecting the worship of others, it is highly, highly significant that when we read of people in the gospel accounts worshiping Jesus Christ, he does not reject their worship. He accepts it. In John chapter 9, verse 38, we read that the man who was born blind, who Jesus healed, he worshiped him, and Jesus didn't say, stop he received it. It was appropriate. It was right. In Matthew 28, verse 17, just before giving the Great Commission, the Lord's disciples, we read, worshipped him, and Jesus accepted it. And why did Jesus accept such worship when others refused it? For the simple reason that he's God. He's God, and God only is to be worshipped. Now, returning to the meeting of Cornelius, and Peter, after telling Cornelius to just stand up and stop worshiping me, we read that Peter and Cornelius talked for a little while, and then Cornelius invited Peter to enter a room with him where, to his surprise, he found many people waiting to hear what he had to say. All the relatives and all the close friends of Cornelius, they're there, they're seated, they're waiting. Now, this may have come as a surprise to Peter to have so many people assembled there, But in the providence of God, this was a very significant thing. Why? Because had Cornelius been the only one that day to believe on Jesus, the church at Jerusalem may have looked upon him as just an isolated incident of a Gentile convert, much like the Ethiopian eunuch. But the fact that many Gentiles, this whole household, Not just one accepted Christ. That was a very clear message, not only to Peter, but it would be to the Jerusalem church, that God was welcoming Gentiles as a people into his church on the same footing with Jews without any spiritual distinctions. Now, upon looking at this group of Gentiles, Peter begins to speak to them. And listen, if he had any lingering doubts As to why God had given him a vision of all kinds of animals to eat, those doubts would have to have been completely gone by now because what he tells these Gentiles reveals that he gets it. He's now fully comprehending the significance of the vision that God has given him. He now completely understands what God has been telling him. Notice what he says to this crowd of Gentiles who are before him. Verses 28 and 29. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. This is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you've sent for me? Now, Peter begins by telling them something that he acknowledges that they all understand, that they all know they're all aware of this, that according to Jewish custom, it was forbidden for Jewish people like him to socialize with Gentiles. That's important that you understand that Peter is not saying that this was against the law of God. It was not against the Mosaic law for him to associate with Gentiles. The law never says that, but rather what he's saying is it was against Jewish customs. It was against Jewish oral law traditions. Let me say again, there is no biblical law that forbid a Jewish person from having any social contact with a Gentile.
2: I am very much enjoying how this story is playing out. Peter and Cornelius talked for a little while, and then Cornelius invited Peter into a room with him where, to Peter's surprise, he found many people waiting to hear what he had to say. In the providence of God this was a very significant meeting. The fact that many Gentiles accepted Christ sent a very clear message uh, not only to Peter but eventually to the Jerusalem church. God was welcoming Gentiles as a people into His church on the same footing as the Jews. You could say we are studying one of the most significant events in the history of the church. Our series is titled The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles and we will continue in Acts chapter 10 on our next verse-by-verse broadcast. So please, join us then.